Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Girl Economist, my main man, CJ, and we have with us a man who needs your introduction at this point. It is the one and only Harley Schlanger. You can find him over at the LaRoucheOrganization.com, LaRoucheOrganization.com, as well as ShillerInstitute.com, the ShillerInstitute.com as well. And there's a lot to cover, a lot going on. So, Harley, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm watching the Russians retreat. Uh, I'm watching the ruble collapse. The, the, <laughs> the Anglo-American empire is triumphant yet again. And, uh, and uh, now they're in the process of, uh, of, of cleaning, out, cleaning out China and doing regime change in India, as according to the fantasies of the U.S. Western intelligentsia. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you heard this comment today. This, th- I think this is something you'll find more outrageous than almost anything else we've heard recently. The U.S. sent over a guy who was in charge of the Russia sanctions, yeah. whose name is Dalip Singh. Oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Dalip Singh, an Indian got India. Deputy National Security Advisor for International Economics, mm-hmm. and he's considered the chief architect of the sanctions against Russia. Yeah. So he went to Delhi today. Now, of course, Sergey Lavrov is already there, meeting with uh, Modi and with others, and they confirmed the transactional arrangement. They're about to sign a very large energy deal and another weapons deal. So Singh held a press conference after he met with a couple leaders of the, uh, I'm not sure who he met with, but supposedly he was hoping to meet with Modi and Modi didn't meet with him. But at the press conference, he said he urged India not to increase energy inputs from Russia after they had just signed an agreement. And then secondly, quote, not to create mechanisms to prop up the ruble and undermine the dollar-based financial system. Unquote. This guy's got a lot of balls, Harley. Well, here's the interesting thing. He's actually talking about their concern with the undermining of the dollar-based financial system. <laughs> All right. A few weeks ago, if you would have said that's on the radar screen in Washington, you would have been told that's conspiracy theory, that's nuts. Now they're telling the Indian press don't mess with the dollar-based financial system. Now, a reporter said to him, uh, and how was the response? And he said, well, I presented this in the spirit of friendship, but there will be consequences for countries that do not cooperate with the United States. So now they're threatening India. This is going to work out well. (laughs) Well, then you have the situation in Pakistan where they're trying to uh, knock out Imran Khan as prime minister. Right. There's a no, no confidence vote. And Khan said yesterday at a press conference, well, it seems as though the Americans, I, I mean, some country uh, don't like what I'm doing. Ah. And then his deputy or one of his top advisors reminded them of what happened to Ali Bhutto, who yep. crossed Kissinger. And Kissinger said, I'm going to make a horrible example of you. And two years later, 
Bhutto was hanged. Yep. And then his daughter was killed. Yep. So in Pakistan, they take very seriously the threats of regime change. Of course, in India also, because remember what happened to Indira and Rajiv Gandhi. Of course. So the, the ambassador of Pakistan to the United States said that he was a senior official in the United States government, that relations with Pakistan will improve once Khan is gone. So now you're targeting India and Pakistan. And, you know, as you say, it, it doesn't seem to be going too well for these guys. The, the ruble is back at the pre-war levels. Uh, today is the deadline for Germany and the EU. Putin, I think, told them they can have a couple of days to figure out how to go to a, a Russian bank and buy rubles. Um, but he said, no rubles, no gas. The Germans are drawing a hard line. The Germans are saying, we're, we're not going to do it. So there is talk in Germany now of gas rationing, uh, yep. of cutting back gasoline for travel. They're talking about uh, cutting gas to or cutting uh, fuel to industry. And they're saying, well, this will be a recession. But as one minister said, we're prepared to freeze for freedom. <laughs> as he goes to his, uh, his little mansion on a fat government salary and all his needs are taken care of. Well, we're willing to freeze to death. Exactly. You know, B Harley, I don't know if you know this, but BASF, which is a major, major German company, a chemicals manufacturing giant, has said they are on the verge of collapse if Russian energy is cut. Yeah, there are a number of German firms that are in that situation. Uh, even the Deutsche Bahn is, is warning that they may have to curtail service because, you know, the Deutsche Bahn is supposedly all uh, sustainable, but they still have to heat their offices, heat the terminals. They've got uh, a lot of uh, electrical inputs into the train system, and, and all of this could be lost. Now, meanwhile, though, in the United States, rest comfortably because uh, Uncle Joe just released a million barrels of uh, oil surplus, and he's going to do it every day for the next months, as though that's going to do anything. Hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, it, you, it, it, it's, it's not going to do anything. If you wanted to do something about stopping the rise in the price, stop the war and cut off the uh, zero interest rates that provide more money to speculators to drive the price up. Correct. And then start drilling. Yeah. That would that, that, be the quick, most efficient way of getting this done. Schultz was, uh, for the longest time, Harley, he was out there talking tough to Putin. Putin, I think, has him in a headlock. Right now, uh, you know, Gazprom is already talking to European firms, European companies, on how to go ahead and clear and do the gas trade in rubles working with Russian banks. So they're already walking through, through this. Schultz is out there talking tough. He's going to look like a total idiot when this whole thing is done. Well, and there's shakeups all around. In France, the head of military intelligence was fired today because they said he got a few things wrong on the Ukraine situation. Uh, he's one of the people who was saying that the French shouldn't be supporting the sanctions. So mm. there, there's a clampdown going on. Uh, now, in the United States, here's an interesting comment. I don't know if you saw this. 
But Robert Capito, who's one of the co-founders of BlackRock, gave a speech in Texas yesterday to the Oil and Gas Drillers Association. Yeah. And he said, be prepared for scarcity of goods. And he said, due to inflation and supply chain problems. And someone asked, he, he said, we can call it scarcity inflation. So someone said, do you think Putin uh, is responsible for this? And he cited an NBC poll. 38% blame Biden, 28% blame COVID and lockdowns for the inflation, 23% blame corporations, and 6% blame Putin. <laughs> so the anti-Putin, that was probably the people in the State Department they interviewed. Hmm. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. You know, the, um, the, 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 the thing is, you know, there's a lot of pain coming to the United States and for the citizenry. There's a lot of pain ahead. I feel especially bad for Europe. Europeans are going to suffer the absolute worst of this whole entire thing, Harley. And the question becomes, what are they going to do? Are they going to wake up and understand this green utopia that they're dreaming about can never happen? They can't even procure the material, the raw materials needed for their windmills, their precious windmills and solar panels. It cannot happen. Like, what is the solution that these morons are proposing? Because as it's looking, I'm looking at total collapse of the EU at this point in terms of economically. Just, they're just about to take a step. I mean, they have one foot on the ledge and the other foot is on a banana peel, Harley. Well, Habeck, who's the, um, I think he's the economics minister. He's a greenie from the Green Party. And he said, oh, this will be... I an ideal way to transition to the green economy, oil and gas quickly. As someone pointed out to him that the terminals that are needed to get U.S. oil and gas shipments are not slated to be ready until 2026. Yeah. And he was asked, how many of us will have frozen to death by then? And he got very angry and shut down the press conference. I think even Der Spiegel, which is part of what used to be called the CIA press in Germany, yeah. Der Spiegel is warning that there will be shortages and there will be consequences. Now, the Green Party is connected to something in the, in the city where I live, the, Potsd the Potsdam Institute for Environmental Research, which is one of the think tanks for the EU. The European Union has a total green policy. So the Potsdam head of this was asked, what's going to happen with food shortages and things of that sort? And he said, Again, this is an ideal opportunity to transition away from the wasteful economy. He said, all we have to do to, to deal with hunger is share the, the food that we have. And someone said, but we're not going to have enough food even for Germany. How are you going to share it? And he said, people eat too much. We have to stop feeding grain to animals and we have to stop eating animals. And he cited an FDA study, which I'm trying to find, which says that by 2026, we should be phasing out red meat consumption in the United States. Time for me to move. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to somewhere where all they do is eat red meat, like, I don't know, somewhere in South America or some, or some other part of the world. Well, or either ridiculous. Argentina or you're more likely to get a steak in India than you will be in uh, Fort Worth. Yeah, exactly. And this is why people need to be fighting back hardcore, because they're, these people are morons. These people are not experts in any of the respective fields that they are looking to regulate and or manage and or govern. These guys are idiots. 
we're going to transition to the green nude. How does that look like? Uh, I don't know. We we snap our fingers and and, tra- and, and solar panels and windmills magically appear. Uh, 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 we got to get rid of our cows. How does that happen? People going to starve to death on soy and plants. There were, there, were strong, there were strong winds the other day here in, in northern Germany, which should have been useful for wind power, except they blew over two of the windmills. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Well, here, let me, let me transition to something else, because I've been looking at this question of where does all this anti-Russian stuff come from? Because, you know, you, you had, after 1990, there was actually, there were some people who were thinking we can uh, bring... Russia into some kind of joint agreement. There was even talk about bringing Russia into NATO. And abruptly that shifted. And one of the key moments for that was the Budapest conference in 1994, where Bubba Bill uh, was meeting with Yeltsin and he said, we want you to join our partnership for peace program. Now, at the same time he did that, he had his uh, busy beavers back in the foreign policy department working on a NATO enlargement. And this got out to Yeltsin, and Yeltsin called him on it. And Yeltsin apparently uh, shouted him out, and Clinton got really angry and demanded that the people who prepared the summit should have prepared him for that. Well, William Burns, who today is CIA director, wrote a memo. And this is in 1994. At the time, he was uh, NSC uh, senior director for Russia. And he said, and this is diplomatic, polite language, but listen to what he said. The U.S. has to separate our understandable anger on the tone of the debate from Russia's substantive concerns, which we must take seriously, having to do with NATO enlargement. So in 1994, Burns, who's now CIA director, was warning about NATO enlargement. In 2008, after the Bucharest summit, when NATO said they were going to invite Ukraine and Georgia to join NATO, Burns wrote a cable, February 2008, and it was titled, Nyet means Nyet, no means no. And he said that Ukraine and Georgia's NATO aspirations not only touch a raw nerve in Russia, they engender serious concerns about the consequences for stability in the region. Ukraine could be torn apart and Russia would be none the happier with that. Yeah. So he was writing this about NATO enlargement again in 2008. Now, you wonder what he's saying when you see the, the rapid shift into an offensive position against Russia and China. And again, in the research I've been doing, and I'll be writing this up for an article next week, uh, what we saw was the 2014 coup in Ukraine, then the Russians... Uh, supported the Russian population in the Donbass, which was very unhappy with the coup. Uh, And by the way, most of the people in Mariupol and and Odessa were also, polls showed, very unhappy. Up to that time, our military policy was based on this idea of uh, the global war on terror Mm. and the idea of preventive warfare that the U.S. has the right to attack any country perceived as a potential threat, like Iraq or Libya or so on. That was the Bush doctrine. That was changed in 2017 with the U.S. national security strategy 
the main authors of which were Mattis, McMaster, and Kelly. And what it said is that the United States now has to be concerned with Russia and China as revisionist powers, <laughs> seeking, to, seeking to challenge American power, influence, and interest. I think we were knocked off live. I'm not even sure how that occurred. But uh, anyway, Harley, you, you were saying before we were knocked off. I was talking about the 2017 National Security Strategy yes. uh, document. With uh, McMaster's, Kelly, and Mattis. Yeah. They're saying that Ru Russia and China is a revisionist power seeking to undermine U.S. hegemony. And we now have to take that on. Uh, they, they said that we've had strategic complacency, that the global war on terror, we didn't think we needed new weapons and new technology, but obviously we do. But they said it's good to, to return to great power competition. So it's a, a reversal of the 9-11 turn to the war on terror. But here's, they're, they're continuing the idea of preventive warfare, only now instead of preventive warfare against Iraq and uh, Libya, it's against Russia and China. But here's the thing that's most incredible. Let me see if I can find this. Yeah. Uh, they talk about the need to upgrade the U.S. nuclear capability. Yeah. And what they said is that arsenal is, quote, essential to prevent nuclear attack. So in other words, deterrence. Mm -hmm. non-nuclear strategic attacks, and large-scale conventional aggression. So this is actually where Jake Sullivan got into this thing where he was talking about the nuclear options have to be available, the nuclear contingencies. So this is in the strategic doctrine. Then in 2019, there was a RAND study report on how to degrade Russia. And the first item on the agenda was to use Ukraine. And the second or the third one was Belarus. So you can see they're, they're following a script that, that was well before Putin massed any troops on the border of Ukraine. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So well, that- I, I think the, 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 the whole narrative is, is completely fraudulent. And, and as you pointed out at the very beginning, the idea that Russia is pulling back from Kiev because they had their butts kicked. Well, an advisor to uh, Zelensky today said that 95% of Ukraine's defense industry has been destroyed. Yes. 95%. Now, the Ukrainians pulled a stunt this afternoon. They sent two helicopters into Russia and blew up a fuel depot. Right, in Belgorod. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're basically saying we still have a couple helicopters left. <laughs> they lost more than half their helicopter fleet. They, they lost, I think it was 80% of their planes. Yes. And of course, the idiots in, in NATO are going to go to Boeing and, and Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and order new planes and new weapons and, you know, the, the, and then claim that the Russians won't negotiate in good faith. You know, they figure that, hey, Ukraine's going down. Might as well make some profits while we're at it. Yeah. And then at the same time, you have a bunch of congressmen going to Taiwan, pledging to defend Taiwan to the last Taiwanese. You know, the Ukraine. Oh, my God. Anybody who's throwing in their hats with the United States at this point has to be mentally brain damaged. This is a country that, that cannot execute a war properly. This is a country that does not defend its allies. They are going to leave. They're going to leave them to the wolves, so to speak. They're, 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 they're going to abandon Ukraine. And then after they do that, they're going to show up to Taiwan. Hey, look, look at the great job we did in Afghanistan. Look at the great job we did in Ukraine. Uh, we want to make you the absolute unsinkable aircraft carrier uh, for our operations in destabilizing China. And if the Taiwanese go along with it, they're the, oh, my God, they deserve what's coming to them. Now, here's the, the other thing that's occurring is that there's a, a fellow who, if people haven't heard of him, hopefully we'll be hearing more of him recent in, in the future, rather, Sergei Glaziev, yes. who is an economist. Uh, he's a member of Putin's party. He's been an advisor to Putin in the past. He's now the economic advisor to the Eurasian Economic Com- uh, Council. Now, he's written a number of memos recently about how to establish a new currency to replace the dollar. Now, they're not doing this yet, but this is one of the areas that's being discussed. That's why this uh, uh, Dalip Singh was warning the Indians not to uh, even think about moving against the dollar, because there already is an alternative system being set up. But what Glaziev said is that what makes the idea of the ruble a viable option as as part of a a market basket of currencies. What he said is oil, gold, strategic metals, food. That's it. We have all of those. Yes. And he said, our ruble is backed by productive uh, products. It's backed by an economy that's functioning. You know, Russia is the world's leading wheat exporter right now. Correct. Uh, they're, I think, second or third in fertilizer export. Yep. Lumber is another one Glazi have mentioned. So what he said is that we actually are moving into areas that the West have, have given up. And if I can find it, I have a, a wonderful quote from a, uh, well, I probably can't find it, a, a, an analyst who was talking about this today. Oh, yeah. He said, 
the he was asked, well, what about digital currencies? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, if the Russians and Chinese go with the digital currency, it'll be backed by something. Yep. He said, on the other hand, what we have in the West are digital printing presses going with a quantitative easing program of many central banks that produces a flood of valueless money yeah. as opposed to moving to a world of, of physical production. Now, all of this is what LaRouche had been writing about in the 80s, 90s, physical economy, that people who think you can get rich trading on worthless financial instruments, some of them do get rich. If you know the right people, you can make yeah. a lot of money. But what happens when there's nothing to back it up? They'll be the ones who will be okay when everything collapses until the people who get collapsed and lose everything find out who they are. Right. And I, I think that's where we're heading. So if the Russians and the Chinese and the Indians and others move into an era of physical economy, we're going to see the problem in the West where we've lost the morality of production and instead of embraced an aggressive atheism of uh, greed and, and pursuit of pleasure. And that's not a good formula for survival. Yeah, no, it really isn't. Um, we are in a lot of trouble. And I'm praying to God that Americans wake up and take this country back, Harley, because it's, it's, it's not going to get better from here on out. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And I hope that, uh, that there has to be a, a populist revolt that needs to occur here. Well, I'll tell you something interesting, The because uh, I've been talking about this a lot, that the, the majority of the world's population live in countries that are not unhappy to see the United States take it, take it on the chin. Yep. And I've been doing interviews on uh, television in Algeria, in Pakistan, and last night in Iran. And I have one set up in Brazil for uh, the beginning of the week. Uh, South Africa, I have gotten invited to speak at a conference of South African nuclear engineers. There, there are people in the world who recognize that the U.S., the, the, the old slogan of, of the paper tiger, well, th that wasn't accurate when Mao Zedong was using it, but it certainly is today. Yeah. Our economy is a paper economy. Correct. And it, it's increasingly so. But there are other countries who are breaking from that. And, and many of these are countries that were part of the non-aligned nation, nations, the non-aligned movement in the 50s. Uh, they're former colonial countries, but they're countries that are actually building physical economies. Right. Did you know, V, that they have a space program in Ghana? Oh, wow. No, I did not know that. Yeah. And in the United Arab Emirates? Yeah. UAE, I've heard they have an amazing program that they, have, they actually have young people also helping to contribute to, to their space program. It's Very young people, and they've launched yes. a satellite recently. Yep. yep. And, you know, we're, we're falling behind. Now, the United States has the potential to break out of this. And, and by that, I mean, we still have a, a capability with energy, with uh, physical economy, with engineering capability. Uh, but the, the skilled workforce that's needed to, to do that is aging. And the yeah. younger generation, uh, they're, they're pretty skilled if you want to know how to produce Pokemon cards and, and things of that sort. But the, you know, we are no longer doing industrial engineering and technology. 
And our universities that teach those subjects are filled with people from the Philippines, from Nigeria, from all over the world. So, you know, we may depend on countries that we despise right now to survive if we continue in this direction. And I think people should take this as a warning. We're at a very late moment in the Anglo-American empire. And to issue threats against countries to treat Russia and China as though they're Libya or, I mean, look how long it took us to, we couldn't even subdue Afghanistan. So, no, exactly. <laughs> so we, we really need a, a shift. And that's why a week from tomorrow on April 9th, we're bringing together people from another number of countries, including some economists, including some scientists, some industrialists, who are going to be having a discussion about what it will take to set up an alternative strategic and financial architecture. Some of this is already in motion, but we need to make it a public fight and get the American people behind it, because I don't think the American people are, are going to be willing to freeze for freedom. Right, exactly right. I don't think the Germans, the Germans are pretty mild-mannered, but I don't think the Germans will freeze for freedom. Let's, let's freeze for freedom. Let's starve for freedom. We got to really get that, Putin. Let's, let's be prepared to pay $15 a gallon for gasoline. Let's do it for freedom. Yeah. <laughs> These idiot morons in Washington, D.C., in London, in Frankfurt, in, you know, I'm sorry, in Berlin, in, in Paris. These are morons. Absolute morons. They literally live. I mean, the, they, they literally say to themselves, OK, guys, here's the deal. The world is in crisis. Let's quickly build a, a, a bigger and harder echo chamber than we've ever had. And that's exactly what they're doing. Look, they're asking these, uh, these, these morons from Brussels, hey, uh, energy crisis, what are you going to do? This is a great time to transition to green energy. How? And then you ask them how. They cannot even explain to you how. That's how you know they're idiots because they're not, none of these morons are, are experts in any of the fields. That they are that they that they deem to be governing and regulating. Well, and, and V, let me just make one other point here, which is that uh, I talk about the Anglo-American Empire, and I know there are a lot of people who say, "Well, the British Empire doesn't exist." Uh, I don't know if people saw the comment from the GCHQ leader uh, yesterday, where he basically went through how Ukraine is winning and the Russian soldiers are demoralized. I don't know if you've been watching Boris Johnson. I don't know if you've been paying attention to what the city of London is doing. The city of London, at the same time, they're, they're still all in with the Great Reset. And the Great Reset is largely a product. I mean, Klaus Schwab, who is he? Schwab is part of the Prince Charles, Mark Carney. Mark Carney, former Bank of Canada, then Bank of England. Yep. Uh, these are the guys who are running the Great Reset. Yep. Uh, the think of BlackRock is, is part of it, but Powell is an intellectual moron, a, a lightweight compared yep. to these guys. These guys have a strategic vision of starving the energy sector to impose green fascism. And it's always been centered in Britain. So the fact that the, the British Isles is an industrial rust heap right now doesn't mean that they don't control the narrative. Yeah. And the, the report I mentioned earlier, the 2017 National Strategic Doctrine, that comes right out of the pages of William Yandel Elliott, who was the mentor of Brzezinski, Kissinger, 
Samuel P. Huntington, and Madeline Halfbright. Mm -hmm. They all use British working papers in, in their operations. The Russiagate operation was run out of Britain. I know right. people think Hillary was the brains of that. Hillary's not the no. brains of her, her own her own life. The uh, the Russiagate with uh, Christopher Steele, with uh, Sir Richard Dearlaw, former MI6 head, they're the ones who are controlling the narrative that you hear from people like Blinken. I mean, Blinken is a protege of Madeleine Albright, who is a protege of Brzezinski. Correct. And Brzezinski was a protege of a man named Bernard Lewis, who was the person who came up with the clash of civilizations theory and also the arc of crisis, right. which started the great new great game with the war in Afghanistan. So don't poo-poo this British empire thing. It, it's the British thinking that actually controlled the intelligence establishment. After World War II, there was a fight between the British network, which championed Wall Street, the Dulles brothers, uh, the Harrimans and others, against Bill Donovan and the American faction, and the Americans lost. And British methods became the approach for the U.S. intelligence community. Yeah. Yep. Exactly right. Exactly right. Harley, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. And again, folks, you can find him over at the LaRoucheOrganization.com, the LaRoucheOrganization.com, as well as SchillerInstitute.com, SchillerInstitute.com. And with that being said, we're over and out. Thank you so much, Harley. Yeah. <laughs>